Okay, welcome back to the Wine Tech Insiders Podcast, Episode 7. Today, we're going to cover the disaster frost in France, non-fungible tokens, and calorie labels in the UK pubs. Here we go. Our insiders are all back, which is very exciting, starting with Seb, who's missed a couple of episodes from Trolley, Lori from Wine Chinery, Nick from Wine and Jonathan from Bottle Books. And we have a special guest today because um, she has written a few articles uh, for Forbes about this. She's a contributor there. She's also the writer in resident for Outshinery. Jill Barth is joining us. And Jill, maybe you could provide a little bit of context of what has happened in France over the last uh, week or so, um, um, what's going on, and then we can discuss uh, the role that techs played in this or what tech, uh, tech can do to help. Yeah, so in most wine growing regions around France, there's been a cold snap, uh, really April 5th through 8th, somewhere around there, um, where the temperatures were cold, there was snow, there was frost. And so this isn't exactly out of the ordinary for certain parts of uh, France in April, but uh, what's significant is Kind of the story goes back to March when there was a heat spike. Temps like in, in you know, the mid-20s, like mid-80s Fahrenheit, where the vines kind of started with their vegetation process. So then you've got these tender buds and frost hits. So that means that, you know, it's big destruction for those buds that came out. Um, so I had a chance to talk to a few growers in Burgundy, and some of them are reporting losses up to 100%, somewhere, you know, 50, 80%, depending on where they are in the circumstances. Um, and and uh, did you get into the what they're trying to do to mitigate this? Um, if anything's successful, what what are they um, what are they using? Or yeah, the big thing that really gets attention because it's actually striking um, when you see it uh, is these cross candles, the bougie candles that they'll light out throughout the vineyard, and the heat from the candles is meant to warm the air around the vines and they kind of light them. It takes, you know, people, they're hand lit. I uh, actually got a report, it takes 400 of these per hectare. And uh, what's interesting is they cost somewhere between like five to seven US dollars. So you can imagine there's a cost associated. And so these candles burn and they illuminate the vineyards. It's really beautiful. Uh, definitely Google that and take a look at the pic if you haven't seen it, because it's really pretty, but it's also really kind of eerie because it signifies a ton of work, a ton of stress all night long. Uh, there's a couple other options. They can spray the vines, which creates kind of like a little coating of ice, like an igloo, which actually it seems counterintuitive, but that helps keep the temperature stable for the shoots. They can also use fans that kind of blow the air about. Um, and those are the main ways, but the candles have been in full force in this particular instance, you know, here this year. Anybody else want to jump in on this? Um, have, have, has anyone else heard anything? Yeah, I was speaking to a friend of mine in Southern Burgundy uh, yesterday, in fact, and as Jill said, exhausted after multiple nights of being up till 4 a.m., lighting the candles, trying to keep um, the frost off. Obviously, in most cases, unsuccessfully, I think, as soon as temperatures dip down to sort of minus four or thereabouts, and then assuming that the following morning mm -hmm. is beautiful and bright and the sun comes out, 
then all those buds get burned by the sun. And that's where most of the damage occurs. Um, interestingly, I think that those producers who are pruning really, really late are, are finding that that is reducing the amount of damage to their vines very significantly. And, and indeed, late pruning, I think, could well be the new normal when it comes to global warming because it retards everything. And if you think of um, areas of production like Piedmont, who have, you know, where there are incredibly hot summers, but they don't actually matter. What matters is the temperature in September and October. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that in more traditional wine growing regions um, like, like Burgundy, very late pruning with, with a goal of effectively getting through the summer with the grapes at a lesser stage of maturity so that they can um, um, produce balanced wines through a later ripening season. Do we have any, um, I'm not sure, look, I've only just seen a couple of news articles. Uh, I'm curious on, on the overall impact on the, the industry at large. Do we have yeah. any numbers of um, production being affected? Do we have any, is it 100% of French wine is not going to be produced this year? Or is it like, do we have any indication of what the production is going to look like? I think it varies a lot just based on how people are managing their vineyards yeah. and also where their vineyards are, I gather. Unlike the frosts of 2019, the vineyards um, at higher altitudes, so Grand Cru vineyards in Burgundy, have been more affected than the the the, the Bourgognes, which, which which typically, with the heavier soils that retain more moisture, um, would you would think been the terroir that are most um, affected. Um, we know that the French government is stepping in and is going to be providing. Um, some financial help uh, to the industry and around. Um, but I think the amount of um, production that is lost is going to be incredibly variable. Um, I think it's impossible, I'm, I'm it's impossible the, um, to say at this point. I'm curious about the making a parallel with the, um, the bushfires uh, in California and a little bit in Australia as well. Uh, the bushfires in California uh, in the last couple of years um, have been reported to have impacted uh, or reduced the supply of USA wine uh, by about 15 to 25%, depending on what you're reading. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just curious as to whether we're going to see globally a dip uh, in, in uh, like a significant enough dip in wine production in France, uh, mm -hmm. because we also know with the, the pandemic, uh, there's also been some challenges moving craft wine the mass produced wines are, are still moving but the craft or the smaller batch production wines are not moving as effectively um so yeah there's an interesting sort of a, a story an interesting outcome shaping up here i think yeah if the and french I, I are would, making less wine they yeah, go for it yeah and i would be curious to see you know like uh i mean i'm from burgundy myself so it is really you know heartbreaking um like to see and hear of course um but i'm curious to see you know like the demise you know, even temporary of one wine region must be the opportunity of another, right? Like, I mean, okay. I'm French, and I can tell you, in France, you pretty much drink exclusively French wine because for some reason, we still don't believe the rest of the world can do wine. But um, 
Like, I don't imagine, like, again, we don't know how much the wine production is going to be affected, but I don't imagine that the wine consumption will want to lower by French people. So just totally hypothetically, like, would that mean that French people will discover more um, Spanish wine or German wine? Like, you know, like, like I'm like literally on yeah. a more, like, almost like a societal level. Um, I'm really curious about that because... You know, even when I say like, oh, I'm drinking a Pinot Noir from Canada, like first people stop me, Pinot Noir has to be from France. Like, nope, Pinot Noir is a great varietal. <laughs> you know, like it's just, so it's just like, it's just like, you know, maybe like a bit of a silver lining like um, there. I'm curious about that. Yeah, 100%. Look, there's, there's no doubt that it's a, a complete... Uh, devastation uh, in France. It's it's as a vineyard owner, it would be really painful and stressful. Yeah. Uh, I think at at large, at the global scale of the industry, we've had a an oversupply uh, for mm-hmm. quite a few years now. Uh, yeah. So ultimately, it might bring the prices back up and kind of a rebalance the supply a bit more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's too early to tell. It's Jonathan, early, what yeah. about? What, what do we do in the wine industry or what can we do as tech companies when there is a crisis, when, when a full, you know, region, I mean, um, is there anything we can do, but just watch and, and pray or, I mean, you know, candles. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I think it is, um, it is kind of challenging as, as tech because the impacts, um, are ultimately felt further into the future. So the damage is done today. But um, the financial impacts and the, the, the knock-on effects are are not going to be happening for uh, for a while. And so, tech is very, I think, good about being reactive. And just like we have done throughout COVID, we were able to adapt very quickly. This is a, a slightly different challenge, um, though. And um, but it depends on also your definition of tech, um, because we. Um, had also come across um, a post by uh, Louis Moreau, who had uh, had had some pictures of the um, heating cables that he has been uh, pulling through his his vineyard, and he credits this with having a chance at having his crop this year. Um, and so it it is an upfront investment that you know you do have to lay the cables through the field, um, but in moments like this, um, it has the potential to pay itself off. Um, um, many fold, and that's a relatively low tech solution. Just pulling, pulling a cable through the field, and and turning on the heater. Um, and uh, but it, it seems like it was very effective for him and the other producers who've done it. So I think it's depends on which. It may not be uh, people setting up computers, uh, but it could be good old fashioned, yeah, uh, industrial tech. Um, that yeah. And I think to me, that's also what's fascinating when you look at the pictures of like what at first glance looks like vineyards on fire, which is obviously not the case. Like there's something also, I don't know, for me, like very almost like primal about it, you know, it's just like, you know, you know, it's just like vineyards, which have been around, you know, for obviously thousands of years, like, you know, not those particular one, but just as a, as a agriculture production uh, made by humans. And here is a fire to keep the vine warm. It's like, it's almost like, can it be more low tech than that? Like it looks like almost like you know, like it, like there's something very fascinating for me, like the about this as well. Like it's just like if you remove the surrounding, like I mean, were the Roman doing the same thing, you know, back then when they had frost and they had like, like I'm literally like like we don't know, but I'm like it's totally possible, right? They could have warm up fire to just not lose their grapes. 
over 2000 years ago. Like, it's just like, that's very also fascinating to me on a more historically uh, mm. approach, historical approach, oh, sorry. When they started making beer. There's a note, oh, sorry. A note on, on a global uh, climate change, right? And, and we're seeing an increasing number of frost events like this. We're seeing bushfires coming up on a more regular, more devastating kind of a basis. And we're also seeing a lot of new wine region, right? Uh, as much as I love a good French bottle, uh, also we are seeing a lot of colder climates now producing Absolutely. wines more and more and more. So it'll be I interesting mean, to see over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, our channel is honestly seeing it firsthand, like um, literally like, this morning, I mean, the day just started, but we just uh, sent bottle images from the UK, you know, a rosé and four whites, you know, just like, I don't know where quite yet in the UK, but it's just like, that's, I don't know, it's so new and recent, like new wineries that call the climate wine is, is fascinating. It's moving out. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to non-fungible tokens and <laughs> wine. Um, non-fungible tokens. Now, non-fungible tokens are is a way to basically cr create ownership and sort of certification to clarify who owns a digital asset. Um, this is based on blockchain technology, um, which is uh, how Bitcoin works. So what happened was a few weeks ago, this really came into the news because the artist BP, sold a collage work for 69 million, a digital, uh, basically artwork. It doesn't exist outside of computer, it exists in the digital world. Um, and um, this created a lot of waves. Um, a New York Times reporter then sold an article that he had written and published for 800,000 um, US dollars. And um, there's even a company called Top Shot who sells, sells sports moments and has already had 500 million in sales. Um, and just this week, uh, in fact, yesterday, Yao Vineyards um, from Yao Ming fame, NBA basketball player um, and in, in um, California, um, just started an auction um, with non-fungible tokens. I'm going to go to Laurie on this one, queen of digital images, images and um, hopefully, um, yeah, what do you think? Um, is this a, a fad? What's going on here? Enlighten us. I mean, as much as I can. Uh, yeah, NFTs are just really, um, they are fascinating. Like, it's just um, this, like, this is like embracing, um, yeah, is it an English word? Embracing of like digital to the next to the next level, um, like not even having like a physical anything, but like owning it for millions of dollars. Like I think to me, it's more of a like a status symbol, like a like a really like a, a collecting um, items and probably a bit of ego as well. And um, from what I've been reading and learning about it, is uh, is a lot of what of like potential like investment. Uh, you know, like he was born, like some of the PCs are bought by funds, like investment fund in Dubai. And it's just like, so it's not like a lot of art pieces, like sometimes it's not so much about the, the art itself, like the value, like but the value of the art, like what it means in a portfolio of other assets. Uh, I'm really, I'm really curious about the, like the, the Yao Ming winery, however, because that doing things a little bit differently, I still think there is 
of course, like a marketing ploy, but the fact that there's a physical product in that case, like it can be, from my understanding, it can be shipped to your door, you know, if you buy that bottle or, you know, the one we can keep it for you in the right conditions. There's like this part that I think is just like very interesting. Um, and um, just like kind of like hopefully, like not, not hopefully, but just like opening the discussion uh, to new, like, I don't know if it's a wine consumer, but like just like the idea of like, you know, more people can be talking about wine in a totally different way that was never been done before. Because you talk about spot moments, you talk about like New York Times Collins, and then, oh, like the wine industry also does that. And it seems a bit better place than some more heavily marketed ploy. Like I think Pringles did something, like, you know, like chips. Or like this just looks, okay, like you're really trying to hook yourself on like the fad of the moment, like the trend of the moment. Um, is it here to stay? I have personally, but my doubt also have my issues. We were talking earlier about like uh, climate change and the issues of it. And um, actually it's a well-known fact that often is not advertised, but anything, um, cryptocurrency is extremely um, environmentally heavy. Like it takes a lot of computer power to mine those tokens. Um, so I think it can be a bit, uh, like to me, like that's the biggest irony with, for example, Elon Musk getting so much Bitcoin. He's like, oh, I'm here to, you know, like electric car and save the planet. And I'm, uh, I can't remember how many uh, Bitcoins. It's like, so how do you justify this in your head? Like, you know, like the, it just was not touched about. So um, I'm curious about the wine industry, but uh, I would say it's still very, very niche. Like, I think it could be an interesting new marketing play. That's my take. 100% hype. That's what I say. Uh, ultimately, really look, from my perspective, just, just to chime in on that, um, there, there, is a num there is a really good application of a crypto-style chain in the world of wine. However, uh, Bitcoin is still not a device or a device with which with you can buy a coffee readily anywhere you go. Right, so it still has not completely disrupted the entire financial world, let alone a fairly traditional industry, which is wine. Right, so while there is a really good application of the technology, uh, it's not proven that it will make any sort of a change in the overall world of wine. This being said, the NFTs were actually uh, orientated or, or, or crafted really towards uh, digital goods, right. So Dorsey, Twitter's founder, Jack Dorsey, sold his first tweet. Now, I have a copy of that first tweet in ones and zeros on my machine, and it's, it cannot be differentiated from the original, right? Now, how does this apply to the real life world of wine? Okay, yeah, there might be a little bit of wine fraud going around. Uh, but really, it's just a marketing-wise. I can just kind of say I bought some. I got. A, I bought an, F, an NFT, and I own this NFT, and it kind of comes attached with some wine behind it. Right? We're not about to change the way that wine is being sold through NFT. No way, in no way, shape, or form at all. Jonathan or Nick, um, are you a bit more optimistic about this? Are you? going to rush out and bid on something with your Ethereum or your um, Bitcoins? Well, I mean, I think it's, it is, um, the NFTs could have, it could have a place, but I think you have to look at the product characteristics of whether they're, whether they're 
what value they ultimately do or whether it's a actual value versus a fad. I mean, you, you need a product that is um, quite exclusive, um, that has a certain minimum value and probably also a certain life expectancy. Um, I mean, even if you had a really premium bottle of wine and you're going to drink it tomorrow, do you really need to spend the money on an NFT? Probably not. Um, so I think it, it depends on what your objective is, is whatever you're buying and what you're wanting to prove ownership of. So, um, you know, if I buy a five, a five euro bottle of Plunk, um, yeah, it's maybe something I don't want other people to know that I own. So I would actually actively avoid um, uh, any uh, sort of wines powered by NFT. So uh, it really does. I think it depends on your use case. And the key, the key here with NFT specifically, not crypto at large, the key with NFTs is duplication, right? You're effectively proving that you own the original, you own the one thing, you're the rights owner to a digital piece of art that can be copied 25 million times in a click. Wine, okay, yes, can be duplicated. Yeah, okay, we've seen some, some instances of fraud but it's also much, much, much harder. And if you want to prove ownership, we have this thing called a, a, a buyer contract. I bought this wine from you, so I own it, right? Well, I think, so, that, I think that's where blockchain comes in. You know, it's, there's an established use case around chains of distribution. We know, that, we know that, you know, high volume wine distribution uh, is important in terms of its tracking, its temperature, its ability to 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 be copied uh, at, at at huge volume, where the ultimate consumer has absolutely no idea whether the wine no, no, is South American or South or Southern French, and and probably actually doesn't care, but food standards care, producers care. Um, the, the logistics companies there. Sorry? Right. Well, this is not talking about NFTs. No. This no. is the crypto chain. This is right. a, literally a, 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 a blockchain for wine. And they, look, if we look it up, right, they, I can name easily a dozen different blockchains which are today publicly available that are effectively tracking what they call it provenance tracking. So to really know who, which winemaker actually made the wine, which winery actually sold the wine, which supplier did what to the wine, where was it moved, where did it go, to actually prove to the, the bar, the ultimate bar, the exact provenance. That's one really actual use case for wine. But NFTs? <laughs> NFTs is a digital asset that just can, can just be copied left, right, and center. It's a total, total hype, total hype. Uh, but this being said, look, I'm a total advocate for digital um, currencies in a world of wine. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I do think it'll come. I do think it'll come from a, a provenance tracking perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got extensive research that we've done on that specifically. And, and there is going to be uh, in the future a way to really track everything. Um, I just don't think it's NFTs. And I don't think it's going to be today in the case of wine. That's the, that's the biggest challenge. Okay, um, in the UK, um, the government is considering legislation, um, they're trying to pass legislation that will require pubs to, um, to declare calorie counts of uh, beers and wine and spirits. Um, and the pubs are pissed. Jonathan, 
What have you heard about this? Uh, as if I called uh, Lori the queen of digital images, you're the king of product information. <laughs> um, what, what are you hearing about this at Bottlebooks? Oh, it's, it is a huge frustration. Um, it is um, something that to some extent is, has been long anticipated, but I think uh, a lot of people also thought this was still many years coming or is still not coming for, for a while. Um, at the most basic level, it's a rather simple equation that you can calculate to like what the calorie is based on the alcohol and the, and the sugar. And that's, that's enough to meet, uh, meet uh, most people's expectations. But then comes the follow on about how do you get this information disseminated? Uh, who's going to do the calculations? Um, uh, then about how do you get the information on your menus in the restaurant? Do you need to reprint all the menus? Um, and it has, so from a, what's a relatively simple number, it, um, the, the knock-on effects are, can be quite huge. Nick, are you hearing anything in the UK? Uh, not really. I mean, I think I think you know my view on this is is quite basic, really, which is, you know, so alcohol has calories, and sugar is fattening, and people who drink a lot will put on weight. I mean, you know, just drink water if you're bored. It's look. I think uh, I, I, there's definitely a question around health, right? Um, and uh, I remember a discussion a couple of years ago with um, Rob McMillan, one of his uh, yearly sort of a, uh, industry, state of the industry discussions. And he basically reiterated a couple of times that the wine industry, generally speaking, is quite bad at promoting wine as being a, a relatively healthy consumption, healthy drink, right? Yes, there is a bit of antioxidants. Yes, if you get smashed, uh, it's not going to be so good. Now, the question with that new change in rules is, is that going to have an impact on how the general public is perceiving the drinks, right? We know if you drink 10 pints, it's probably not really good for you. Uh, but who's going to turn around and say, actually, one pint a day is absolutely fine. One glass of wine a day is absolutely fine. And I think overall, uh, I'm not sure about the pubs and the restaurants, but I know the wine industry is doing a very poor job uh, at turning around and really reinforcing that. I mean, kombucha just took off in the last what five, ten years mm. in in ways that was completely underestimated. And most of it's full of sugar, right? There is, there is. I mean, it's consumed, right? But uh, the whole mm. idea is that wine should be doing that as well. Mm. Wine is losing steam. Right, you're now seeing canned cocktails. You're now seeing different mix, mix at home kind of a drinks. Mm -hmm. uh, wine should be pushing really hard on the overall. I wouldn't say the health benefits, but the fact that it's a natural drink, it's on transformed, or in, in most cases. Um, so yeah, I'm curious on on the pubs front as to whether it's a labeling and data challenge or whether the pub owners would turn around and say, well, if, if all of my clients knew how much calories they're, in, they're drinking, maybe mm -hmm. they're gonna start drinking far less, all right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what's the, the biggest gripe around it. Yeah. And also like, like it goes back like, and how, how well 
can to general audience, and I include myself in it, can read that information and make an interpretation of it. Like, I don't know. And then you always have this like, debunking as well. It's just like, oh, actually calories don't matter, right? Like it's not this. So it's like, you know, like it's just like, I'm, I'm all about, of course, like nutritional information and everything like in, in, in concept. I think it sounds great. Like I want to know what I'm drinking, but do I really believe like 2% 2% of my intake or just like sometime I drink like a, you know, like orange juice or something and be like, Oh my God, I'm doing 120% of my vitamin C. Is that, is that bad? Like, like, you know, like, there's just also like this kind of like, <coughs> like everything with information is like having the information and being able to interpret it the right way um, related, especially when it's as personal as your body, your, you know, uh, woman versus men. Like, you know, there's so many like, like, yeah, like the, it's just like, that's the interesting part as well for me, uh, but you have to start somewhere. And then just as a designer, um, like, oh, you have to cram even more things <laughs> on the back label. Like, it's just like on a purely like design standpoint, it's just like, damn it. <laughs> well, thanks uh, insiders. That was another episode of the Wine Tech Insiders podcast. I want to thank our special guest, Jill from Outshinery, for enlightening us about what's going on in France. Lori from Outshinery, also, thank you so much. Thank Nick you. from Wine Owners, Jonathan from Bottle Books, and Seb from Trolley. We'll see you all in a couple of weeks. Thanks, David. Thanks. thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.